you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 10. The Pew Bible in front of you, the Red Bible in front of you there, it's found on page 232. Uh, You can follow along as we read through this. Uh, And today we're getting to the point where Samuel is, uh, he's crowned the king. Uh, in, In common terms, we call this a coronation. Uh, We don't have coronations in the United States. We don't have uh, uh, kings, but we do have presidents, don't we? And we do have governors. And what do we call it whenever a governor is uh, put into office or a president is put into office? We have this great celebration. It's called the inauguration, right? All right. It's called the inauguration where we have this great big celebration and this great big party uh, and all of these great things happen. The, the TV stations are there to capture every last bit of it. Uh, and uh, it's this incredible time. So we understand something about uh, the celebration that's supposed to happen whenever a king is crowned or a president is put into office or a governor even. Uh, so we understand that this is, these are important historical mo- moments. Uh, today in this passage, Samuel is going to be Uh, uh, he's going to have his coronation. But instead of there being this huge celebration, it's like I said, there's actually, there are sour notes that go all throughout this passage. Uh, He's already had his private anointing in chapter 10. Uh, That's to our benefit. We understand that Samuel is God's choice for the king. He is going to be the king. And now we're going to the public identification of Samuel as the king of Israel, And we're going to see God's very certain selection of Samuel. There's going to be no doubt that he is supposed to be the king. Uh, and again, instead of being, getting celebration, we get this sour note, three of them, uh, kind of like an unskilled musician playing a guitar. Uh, and you hear it and you just think, that sounds terrible. Well, that's kind of the idea we're supposed to get from this passage. And at the end of it, Uh, We're going to see not celebration, but silent reflection from the king. So let me read this for us. This is chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. Hear God's good and kind word to you today. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and all your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourself before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribes of Benjamin near by its clan, And the clan of the Matriots was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to the people, Do you see him who the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship. 
And he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each to his own home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah. And with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But Samuel, or yeah, but Saul held his peace. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding this word. Father, we thank you for giving us this word this morning. We thank you for giving us the true king. Lord, if it was left to ourselves, we would choose the wrong king. But thankfully, by your grace, you have given us yourself. We pray that we would understand your gospel more clearly today. And as we look at your Old Testament people, the people of Israel, we would see ourselves in our unfaithfulness. And yet we would still remain and continue to see your faithfulness to us by your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So in this passage, it actually breaks down very neatly into three sections. Uh, First of all, we have the Lord's rebuke in verses 17 and 19, the Lord's rebuke. Secondly, we're going to see the Lord's choice in verses 20 through 24. And then thirdly, the Lord's provision in verses 25 through 27. So in verses 17 through 19, first of all, the Lord's rebuke. This is the first sour note of the day, the first unskilled musician playing On that chord, the first strum, it doesn't sound good. Because Samuel says, gather at Mizpah. Now we hear that and we think, okay, well they're just going to have a gathering. Except the last time that the people were told to gather at Mizpah, uh, it was for repentance. It was for national mourning over sin. That was in chapter 7. And Samuel had called the people and said, if you're truly returning to God... Everyone gathered together at Mizpah, and he commanded them and taught them and gave a sermon and convicted them of their sin, and everyone cried out to the Lord because of their great sin. And in that day, there was a great salvation for the people of God. Well, today, he has them gather at Mizpah, the last time they did this, a few years before, and and he decides he's going to preach another sermon to the people, maybe hoping that they're going to repent And they're going to change their mind about what they want. It's a good time to preach a sermon. Everyone's gathered together, so Samuel's going to preach this sermon. And here's his reminder that we're going to see in these verses. That the people of God, God's people, are willfully rejecting God as their king. They are willfully deciding that they do not want God to rule over them as their king. And he's reminding them that you are not doing this and not hiding from God what you're doing, but you are out in the open with your willful rejection of Yahweh as your king. And so here Yahweh says, these are the words to Sam- these are the words, Samuel, that I want you to give to the people. Starting in verse 18, he says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought you brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. Um, So here's what's happening here. This is a sermon, of course, that Samuel is teaching and preaching. But that first opening statement, thus says the Lord. uh, Most of the time in the Old Testament, when a prophet says, thus says the Lord, it's a word of judgment against his people. 
And so this is not one of those good and kind and everybody's, you know, God loves everybody and he's just going to be okay with everything sermons. That's not one of those sermons. This is a sermon of condemnation where uh, their sin is being called out. uh, and, And that's the reminder. Yahweh gives them a few reminders. He says, remember who I am. Remember what I've done for you. First of all, I brought you out of Egypt. You were enslaved in Egypt and I have brought you out of Egypt. I saved you from them. The second thing is, I gave you a land. I gave you the land of Canaan. And you were surrounded by all these bigger and stronger nations. And what did I do? I kicked them out and I saved you from their hands. And it has this note of, and I've continued to save you from the hands of the nations that surround you. So this is the idea that God has done all of this stuff that he has brought them out of slavery, that he saved them from all of their oppression. And then furthermore, in, uh, at the end of 19 where he says, or toward the middle, he says, uh, God who saves you from all your calamities and distresses, he talks about a continuing salvation, that when they get themselves into a mess, that Yahweh himself continues to bring them out of that mess. So what's happening here is God is reminding them of this covenant that he made with his people. He has promised to be faithful to his people. That even when they are unfaithful, God says, I'm going to remain faithful to you. And in this time, he is reminding them of their covenant. Uh, Our most familiar term for this or a way for us to understand this is like our marriages. We make a covenant with God and with our spouse when we get married. And in that covenant, we say, I will remain faithful to you. I will stay with you in good times and in bad, through sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth. I will remain with you. And all through the Old Testament is the story of God marrying himself to a people and loving them without fail over and over and over. And in this moment, the people of God who have been loved so well by God, look at God and say, I don't want your love. I want a divorce from you, God. The people of God say to God here, I want a divorce. Now how should God, the faithful God, who has been cheated on by his people, how should he respond to them? That's the question. And that's why this is such a sour note. Because we're not just talking about a people who have gotten lax in their love. No, they are willfully going to God and saying, I don't want you anymore. Some of you know how much that hurts When your spouse says, I don't want you, I don't love you anymore. That's what we're talking about here. Well, how should God respond? And that's kind of at the very end here. We're left wondering, what is he going to do? Because he calls all the people together. And he says, bring all of the tribes together. And we expect that he's going to pour out his wrath on his people because they ask for this divorce. There's an application of this to us. We need to understand that as we sin and when we sin against God, that it is adultery against Him, that all sin is unfaithfulness to God. And God should treat us like an unfaithful wife. And we need to understand also that our hearts were made to be ruled by a king. Uh, The Israelites here are reflecting something that is very true of us. We want something or someone to rule over us. 
Even uh, Americans who like our independence and like our freedom and want those things over and over and over, we actually want something to rule over our hearts. And that is why you and I constantly run to a million things throughout the days and weeks and months and years and ask those things to rule over us. It looks like a husband who is codependent uh, and needs his wife and, and actually abuses his wife And she can't get out of that because she thinks that his abuse is love, right? Uh, It looks like that. It it looks like us running to medication or alcohol or various things to make us feel better because ultimately we want is just to feel better. That's idolatry to God. And it says we don't want you to rule over us. We need to understand that our hearts were made to be ruled by a king And if we're ruled by any king other than King Jesus, we will run to those other things. And actually, this looks like uh, our fears and anxieties as well. Uh, For most of us, uh, we we don't have a problem with alcohol or drugs or we're not codependent or in bad relationships. Uh, We're actually addicted to other things like fear. You can't go a day without being afraid of something. And what you want is your fear to rule over you. Well, Here it is again. We need King Jesus to rule over us. All of our other kings, and we're going to see this throughout the life of Saul and through his kingship, they demand everything of us without giving us anything. Only King Jesus gave us life and demanded nothing of us. That's the first thing we see. The Lord gives his rebuke to his people. And the setup is judgment is going to follow. So we move on to the second thing, the Lord's choice in verses 20 through 24. Uh, In verse 20, then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Well, this is is something we're not very familiar with here. Uh, They're casting lots to see who is going to be chosen. Uh, But this is actually the second sour note because we're told tribes present yourself. The last times tribes had to present themselves... Uh, and, and somebody was taken by Lot, you have to go all the way back to Joshua chapter 7. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, that's okay. Uh, the people had just had this great victory over Jericho where the walls came tumbling down. God delivered them, and he told them, devote everything to destruction. Don't take anything for yourselves. But one man, he saw this fantastic, beautiful, very expensive robe, a Babylonian robe, and he took it, and he also found some gold, and he took that gold And he brought all of these things into his house, and he hid them in his tent. Well, the next chapter, the people of God go out to fight against a very small group of people, and they're routed, they're destroyed. 30,000 men lost their life because one man decided to sin. Joshua cries out to God and says, why does this happen? And God says, present your tribes to me. And then they cast lots, and one by one, God eliminates everyone but Achan. And Achan is stoned because of his sin. So when God says, present your tribes to me, you can imagine that everyone is a little bit on edge because they're thinking, the last time this happened, there was a stoning. Uh, So as the tribes are selected and the lots are cast, and Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, which is the smallest of all the tribes, as they are selected, all of the other tribes go, thank goodness it's not us. And then they get to this one tribe, uh, the, the Maritites, okay? And all of the other clans, I'm sorry, the clans, all the clans of, of the tribes of Benjamin, they, they whew, thank goodness it's not us. And then ultimately it falls upon Saul. Uh, 
So Saul is selected and there should be this great and joyous moment of celebration. Saul is going to be our new king. But there's a problem. Where's Saul? Where is he? So the people go out and they start looking for Saul, right? Everyone is there. All of the men of Israel are there. However many that is, hundreds of thousands of men, and everyone is out looking for Saul. And they can't find him. They have their king, but they have no clue where he is. And then in perhaps the funniest moment in all of the scriptures, they inquire of God and they say, God, you selected Saul, but we can't find him. And God says, He's hiding among the baggage. Your great king, the king that you want, the king that you want to lead you into battle is afraid and he's hiding underneath all of the baggage that you brought with you. Get the picture of this. The great king Saul hiding from all of the people because he does not want to be the king. This isn't the man you want to be your leader. You don't want a man that hides and shirks his responsibility. The Lord has already anointed him. Saul knew exactly what was supposed to happen. The Lord very clearly gave him all of those signs. And we saw that last week. He had all of these signs. He was God's very clear choice to be the king. And Saul knew that. And his response was to hide from everyone. He hides from the God, from God and he hides from all of the people of Israel. I want you to see this, though. Look, look at the Lord's direction here. God should have judged his people. When they asked for a divorce, he should have given them one, shown them their adultery, and wiped them off the face of the earth. But what does he do? He does not grant them their divorce. He looks at them, and in this moment, he says, I love you too much to give you what you, what you want. And so he directs them to their next king. As bad a king as he is going to be, he still does not divorce himself from his people. He does not give them what he wants. And the Lord directs the whole process by by the lots. We don't know what lots are. Uh, We we have no clue kind of how they did this. It's something like drawing the last or, or the shortest straw. It would have been something like that, but we really don't know what it is. But it was a way to show the Lord's clear choice. And so all through the casting of lots, the Lord was directing who their next king was going to be. And then when Saul can't be found, they have to go to God and say, God, we don't want you as our king, but can you help us find who our next king is going to be? And God says, yes, he's hiding among the baggage. Here's the application of this. We need to see ourselves in this story. Uh, You need to see yourself not as Saul hiding from God. Uh, That might be your tendency to do that. Uh, You might see yourself as Samuel uh, directing God's people and calling them out. But you don't need to see yourself that way either. Here's who you need to see yourself. You need to see yourself as the people of Israel in this story. Who reject God as their king and yet who are still dependent upon him for everything. You see, we want, over anything else, we want the baggage king. We want the king who doesn't want to really be king, who can't really be king to rule over us. We prefer to have a king who we can control. Look at, look at what it says here. Um, after, in verse uh, 22, after God says he's among the baggage, look at verse 23. Then they ran and they took him uh, by force. 
They took Saul by force and they made him be the king. We want a king that we can control just like this. We need to understand that in order to have a real king, a king that rules over us, we can have no control over our lives and who we are and what we do. The true king is not a king that we can control. Because ultimately what we say to God is, I want to be my own king. And God says, you can have me as your king or nothing else. Don't prefer or go after the baggage king. Only the true king of heaven and earth will do. That's the application. Uh, There's also an application of encouragement to us. God's people don't deserve his love. God's people do not deserve his grace. And God says, I'm not finished with you. That's good news to us. You sinned against God in a million ways this week. And if you are his by faith, the good news is that God is not finished with you. You are his child. And though you do not know it and you do not know what's best for you, God says, I'm not finished with you yet. Be encouraged because God has not thrown off his people. And then the third note, the Lord's provision in verses 25 through 27. And this is the final sour note of the whole thing. Um, There's no fanfare. There's no ceremony. This is what the people asked for. Um, In 1953, when Queen Elizabeth was... Um, installed as the queen over all of England. I've seen pictures of it. I've seen some some video footage of it. There was a massive celebration throughout all of the United Kingdom. Uh, One of my professors, Derek Thomas, was born in 1953 uh, in England whenever the queen, uh, whenever Queen Elizabeth was made the the queen at at her coronation. And every child that was born in 1953 throughout all of the United Kingdom got a special coin commemorating that moment. There were tea parties in the street. Everyone stopped what they were doing for about a week just to celebrate. Well, here, and notice this, that's a queen that doesn't even really matter. She doesn't do anything. She's just a figurehead. And everyone celebrated. Here is the king that is going to give the direction of Israel for the next 40 years. And there's no fanfare. There's no celebration. There's no party. This is the final sour note. Here's what Samuel does. He told the people all the rights and duties of the kingship. That's what we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 17. He reminds them, look, your king is not supposed to raise himself up over you. He is not to think of himself as better than you. He's not supposed to have a strong military. He's not supposed to have a lot of wives. He's not supposed to do all of these things. But he's supposed to write down for himself the law of God and read it for himself every day to be reminded of what his duties are to you. And then Samuel says this, go home. He writes down the duties and then he says, all right, everyone, go home. Go back to where you came from. Leave here. And then everyone just leaves. Again, no celebration, no fanfare. And then what do we read at the very end? But some worthless fellows, actually the Hebrew says sons of worthlessness, said, how can this man save us? How can he be the king? And they despised him and they brought him no present. Uh, Well, a king should have done something at that moment. Uh, The true king should have said, call those men forward and had them executed. But Saul says, we're told he held his peace. He did not 
execute those men. This is a sour note for God's people. God is rejecting, or or, um, God has been rejected, but notice he's still at work in the midst of this. And this is why I've called this the Lord's provision. What we're told here is that Saul, left to his own devices and what he can do, he couldn't lead the people very well. But God is not inactive because we're told this. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah and with him went some men of valor. Good news, some men of valor, some great warriors went with Saul. But they didn't go because they wanted to. We're told they went because God touched their heart. Some mighty men stayed with Saul. They maybe formed his personal bodyguard. They maybe went with him to help him in the administration of his new kingdom. And they did it because God touched their heart and put it on their hearts to go and do these things. On Israel's very worst day, and this is possibly Israel's worst day, Yahweh is still at work to bring about his purposes and his plan for his people. What's the application to us? Well, Yahweh is still our king. We can't simply dethrone him because we don't want him anymore, and that's good news. If you can dethrone a king, he's not the true king. And furthermore, Yahweh is still touching people's hearts. Our great God is still in the business of touching the hearts of men and women and calling them to himself and calling them into his service. And furthermore, at the end here, when Samuel or, or Saul holds his peace... We need to be reminded that King Jesus right now is not holding his peace. While he lived on this earth for 33 or so years, he was quiet, he was humbled. But now he is seated on his throne at the right hand of God the Father. And the book of Acts makes it clear that he is on the march. That he is bringing all things under his authority and under his control Currently, right now, the Lord Jesus Christ is not holding his peace. There is a call to us to put our faith and our hope and our trust in our great king. Leave your baggage kings behind. Stop trusting in the things, in the petty things of this life that bring no satisfaction and no fulfillment. Come to the true king, Jesus Christ, for your salvation, for your hope, and for your good. Come to him Today, God is still in the business of calling people and touching the hearts of men. Come to Christ for refuge. Stay to Christ. Stay with Christ and stop looking to your other kings. And here's the thing. I hope you see throughout all of this this passage, not how good the Israelites were because they weren't, but the faithfulness of God and his love and care for his people. He loves you that way. He cares for you that way. Trust in him. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we thank you for giving us this passage. And we thank you that even through all of the sour notes and the dissonant chords that are being played, that we see your grace and mercy and your faithfulness even still. I pray that you would touch our hearts and that we would lean upon you and you only. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.